do I have to record? No, nope. yeah, no. Be. Okay. Well, right. I think so. All right, we are rolling. All right, uh, welcome back, episode uh, six, I think it is now, and uh, we've had some some good happenings pretty recently. We've uh, had the opportunity to speak to a couple of groups regarding active shooter awareness, and we talked about it last time, I think, about how we kind of got a random call from the news and and did an interview and stuff like that, and that led to us going and doing a, a couple of short presentations for some uh, some businesses, which was was pretty cool. And uh, so just kind of want to talk about some of the things that we talked about about there. If you look online, uh, you can see a lot of stuff on the topic. Obviously, it's a, it's a hot-button issue. Um, lots of companies like ours or maybe more centered around the shooting and you know tactical uh, side of things kind of think up their own program and teach teach it to folks and and try to you know build their business off of that and we've done something kind of similar just more centered around our own our own knowledge and experience and a little less um, there, there's a saying uh, in the military law enforcement circles that you can paint anything uh you can paint anything black and call it tactical <laughs> and a cop or a military person will buy it despite its utter lack of functionality <laughs> well, in fact right now i am drinking coffee out of a tactical mug that's a highly tactical mug yeah, it's it, black on the outside and olive drabish uh greenish brown on the inside that's probably because i never washed the inside <laughs> of the cup i think it's supposed to be white Right. It's highly, it looks highly tactical. Your computer's tactical or maybe, yeah, somewhat. But, uh, so we kind of took our own thing. The thing about it is, and feel free to jump in anytime you want, but the, the thing about it is, um, you know, if you are a business owner, this is you know, active shooter or something that you, you certainly need to, to think about in the modern, in the, in the era that we live in. But is it something, and, and on one side of things, realistic training is absolutely the best. If you can, if you can make training as realistic as possible it's gonna, and prepare people for the worst case scenario, it's going to, it's going to benefit in, in, in their reactions and stuff like that. However, do you really need uh, Debbie from accounting, you know, Doing uh, doing buddy drag carries and <laughs> and doing eye gouges and stuff like that. There's going to be a limit to what people kind of tolerate and and what's what's practical, you know, for for most people. If you're a, a, in a in a restaurant business, for example, should you consider active shooter? Yeah, you should definitely. But what you know, it's the most probable course of action versus the most dangerous course of action. That's something when you're doing mission planning in the military, that's one of the considerations you make. What's the enemy's most probable course of action? What's the most dangerous course of action? You need to be aware of the most dangerous course of action, but most of your resources and preparation shouldn't go to that. They should go to what's probably going to happen. And probably and practically. Um, I think the thing is, is that I've, I've been involved in training for a number of companies over the years on a variety of different subjects. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there's uh, diminishing returns. People, people don't practice as much the, as they should. People don't spend as much time thinking about it as they should. 
And so we're taking a more pragmatic approach in keeping a simple program together of both situational awareness and active shooter preparedness based on the fact that the vast majority of people are not going to spend the time to constantly plan, prepare, and, uh, and uh, be aware of everything that they need to be aware of. And there's exceptions to that rule, but most businesses, most individuals in a business are going to be focused on their own things, they're going to be in their own head, and unfortunately, that means that they won't be as prepared. So our focus has really switched from coming up with a real elaborate plan, which we can do, and I have done with some other companies where they've wanted something more elaborate. They wanted it by department. They wanted to identify where a person could hide and barricade much easier. They changed door locks. They put on solid corridor. There's a number of things that can be done, but most companies aren't going to take the time to do that. So the program that we came up with and that we've been speaking to a number of different companies on and organizations is a, uh, is a program that I think is a lot more attainable. It's a lot easier for people to remember and it does provide that awareness and that preparedness-ness. Preparedness-ness, is that a word? Or that's extra prepared. There's uh, yeah, preparedness, preparedness and then there's preparedness-ness. Okay, that's what I think that's... I mean. But we're trying to just do a preparedness and uh, <laughs> as opposed to preparedness-ness, which would that's require... That's excessive. Yeah, that's yeah. excessive. And, that's when uh, Debbie is practicing her eye gouges. And exactly. It's... That's when she's carrying a, you know, like a... a uh, uh, Ruger Precision 308, uh, you know, rifle in her uh, in her. Well, you can't put that in your handbag, but you know, she's got one in her closet. The over CFO there. comes in and asks her what's up with accounts receivable, and it's Monday, and she gets and then <laughs> then you have a whole other uh, you know workplace violence situation. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we're trying to avoid that, but we are also trying to equip people. Uh, with the basic skills that they'll need and it makes I think a big difference and the response to the variety of times that we've done this has been very very positive has created a lot of dialogue and a lot of interest especially from people in human resources because they seem to be the ones or the risk managers who are strongly uh, involved in trying to come up with a plan and a lot of times depending on the kind of company they work for they don't know where to start and part of it is is that you start to sit, uh, think on a much grander scale and what we're trying to do is to keep it as simple as possible so that the first response is hopefully the best response for somebody in the worst case scenario of an active shooter scenario but you know one of the things that I appreciate that Dan brings to the table is he's introduced me to some things that actually my my daughter has talked about as well is uh, Cooper's color codes and the OODA loop and there's many people that have never heard of that so Dan I'll uh, I'll let you talk about that, but I, I really do appreciate it, especially my favorite is Cooper's Color Codes because mm -hmm. it really does um, put things into perspective as far as situational awareness. Right. So the, our presentation that we've, that we've given here and, and talked about, and it's kind of similar to other, other types of trainings that we've done here and there, um, it incorporates, for one, the Cooper's Color Codes, which are, it's, it's a, it, you can Google it. It's not something that I made up or it's it was invented the name Cooper is the the namesake of the person who who uh, invented it he's an Air Force officer it's nothing more than a color coding for a person's level of situational awareness or your awareness of your surroundings and the, the point of it is if you are super or hyper aware all the time you have some kind of psychological problem or it's it's not possible to keep that up. You can't be hyper aware 
all the time for a very, it's mentally taxing and it's just not, not feasible. So this code, this color code kind of vi helps visualize what, what level it is. And it starts with the, the code is white, which is, it's a level and it's a level that a lot of people are in a lot of the time. It's basically a lack of knowing what's going on around you, a lack of awareness. And it takes effort to get out of that. And that's why most, you know, most people are kind of in that, especially, you know, you have a cell phone that psychologically attracts your attention all the time. Or if you're at work, you have uh, the task at hand, especially if you're stressed out and there's deadlines, it's really easy to, uh, to get focused in on that. So what we want to be in is the next level up most of the time, which is yellow, just a general awareness of your surroundings. And if you Google this and look it up, you can see it as well. I'm not tech savvy enough to where we can uh, put it on YouTube and you can pull it up and you can see what we're seeing, but someday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what I think about when I'm reminded of white, and especially in a business environment, there were a few times when I worked in a corporate environment and it was a labyrinth in this particular 40,000 square foot office space. And uh, I was guilty of this and so were a number of other people, but I remember answering a call or looking at a text and walking around a corner and nearly running into the CEO. And he was doing the same thing. Right. Neither one of us were paying attention to our surroundings. What we were doing is we were paying attention uh, to something that we shouldn't have been paying attention to at that moment. At least I couldn't. He was a CEO, so he can do that. Everybody should really watch out for the CEO. Um, so, I mean, for, for me, um, uh, you know, realizing that white is kind of one of those areas that I have found myself to be in on more than one occasion, especially with my phone. And I've seen others, even walking down the street, trip on the sidewalk. Uh, or stumble and uh, do different things because they are paying attention to that smartphone. That thing seems to be, and let me put a sidebar here, anybody who we're doing surveillance on, keep staying in white. We yeah. can't stress that enough. Stay in white. That's very beneficial for us. We don't want you being situationally aware. The rest of the people out there, we definitely want you to, uh, to uh, amp it up to yellow. It's interesting you mentioned that because sometimes you can tell, you know, who's who knows that they might have the opportunity to whoever whoever they um, whoever they are astray of or whatever I don't know what, what phrase or word I'm trying to say but they they know sometimes when they're able to when there's going to be possibly surveillance on them and some of them don't and you know there's the old saying my computer's ringing I silenced my phone but the computer's still <laughs> ringing but uh, there's the old saying another one of those. Uh, Hard, hard, hard dog sayings of only two types of people check their six, good guys and bad guys. <laughs> yeah, and we have seen that where, you know, there's, there's attorneys out there, and I know we're getting off topic slightly, but situational awareness when you're, when you're going through and you've, you've made a lawsuit against your company, um, and uh, what we have found is there are certain personal injury attorneys that will train people in counter-surveillance techniques, how to be more situationally aware how to uh, go down an alley or a strange street, how to double back and do different things to see if you're being followed. We don't like that. We don't appreciate that at all. So we'd ask that you stop doing that. <laughs> but, you know, getting back to what we're, we're dealing with here, that situational awareness and being aware of your surroundings is something that I have to remind myself because sometimes I get into my own head. I think we all do. And, uh, and understanding Cooper's color code, I think, uh, and remembering what each stage of that is, 
brings a great deal of value just to your general safety. Right. And so to expand on like the, the next, the, where you want to be the, the code yellow most of the time, you, you're, you look up once in a while. You know what's going on around you. If you're in an office setting, you know who's in your office. You know what their demeanors are. You can see you know, what's in their hands. You can see their body language, and you don't have to like, you know, mean mug every person, but you look around and you know who's there and, and kind of what the environment is, that's all. When there's a localized or a generalized threat that you feel that you could experience, then then your level of awareness goes to orange. And the example that we've used is, you know, like a disgruntled employee. One thing I was pretty surprised at, um, and maybe you can expand on this having been in that environment a lot longer, uh, but I, I asked the question at the end, uh, how many people, and there was mostly HR uh, type folks in there, I asked the question, how many people deal with a disgruntled or angry person on a weekly basis at least every single one of them raise their hand mm -hmm. I was, you know i figured that it happened pretty often and i didn't really know so i just threw it like you know how many and i threw out the the weekly every single one of them raise their hand and so that's that's where it's kind of like where this comes into play and not being hyper aware all the time you know you you can't just key off of someone because they have tense body language or they look aggressive or they look angry because that's that happens all the time and 99 percent of them don't well, and I think one example of a very good um, uh, scenario that took place when I was working somewhere is um, somebody had called in. They were angry about the company they were working for, uh, firing them, and they said they were coming down to the office. And they said, how many people are in the office right now? Now, that takes a person, if they're in yellow, that should take the, uh, the, the person that answered the phone into orange because all of a sudden they're asking a very peculiar question and that orange could easily become our next color. Right. And you guys initiated some kind of response to it or whatever. You don't have to go into it, but that, that the good on that person for not just being like, Oh, what a meanie, mm -hmm. exactly. whatever choice words might've been used. They, you know, the, some kind of response was initiated and that's exactly what should happen. Your, your level of awareness is to orange, which is kind of focusing more in on that threat and, and seeing, how you can do that that's like a heads up yeah. that's like a preparation for for going into somewhere else and then the next level up is red which would be you know like in the it, talking about active shooters that means that there is an active shooter present and you have to react you, you initiate some kind of response to increase your your survivability the, there's one additional level which is black and that is you know Depending, you can get there a number of ways, but the most common referenced way is if you're in a state of white all the time, think about if you're staring off into space, somebody could easily, you know, if they wanted to, they could pop a balloon right next to you. If you didn't see him walk up, you jump, you wouldn't be prepared for it. Uh, if, if you multiply that times a lot in the event of uh, an actual life or death situation, then you your body can go into a sensory overload where they're they're in uh, black, and that's just you're you're not able to respond basically in in an appropriate way. So that's a breakdown of, of that. The other thing that we talked about uh, that's a pretty common thing thrown around in in the military and it's commonly trained is the OODA loop O O D A OODA loop. If you want to look it up, and it's 
basically a model for the decision-making process that we have. It's used, this one was invented by a uh, fighter pilot for being such a... His name was a, uh, Horatio Uda. Yeah, yes. <laughs> if I recall my history correctly. <laughs> he was uh, one of the first alien uh, Air Force officers from, uh, you know, another planet. It's yeah. part of the uh, top secret. Uh, the Blue Book. He, he Blue was Project the, Blue Book. He was the alien that landed at, uh, at Roswell that they kept secret. Uh, and he brought his extreme knowledge of uh, of situational awareness and decision making processes. But if you want to look it up, it's O O D A OODA loop, and it stands. It's an acronym that stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. The whole reason why the military uses the whole reason why it was you know fighter pilots they do air to air battles, especially you know if they're in training. Also, they do like mock battles. The jets are flying pretty fast. You have to figure out a way to get ahead of that person's decision-making process. You don't want to be, at some point, in an active shooter unless you know it's coming. Like if if the thing, when you talked about that earlier, if that person did show up with a gun, you would have had some time to react and, and prepare. If you don't have time to react and prepare, prepare especially, then you're being very reactive. That person, for observe, orient, decide, and act, that's how you... And I'll, I'll use the, the stoplight example. When you're driving through a stoplight, first you observe the stoplight, then you orient yourself. How far am I in? How far am I from the stoplight if it's if it's uh, red? Or when you observe, you're looking at the color as well. Then you orient yourself. How far are you away? Make a decision. Am I going to go through the light or stop at the intersection? Then you act. You press the brake pedal. On average. Uh, when I was taught this, I was on, told on average that takes one and a half seconds you're, as you're more prepared for it. Or if you're less aware of what's going on around you, if you're driving and your face is in your cell phone, it takes you longer to, to react. The whole point of teaching the OODA loop is in that, like in an active shooter scenario, when, when the active shooter shows up, they're on decide and act or they're, they're already, they have the jump on everybody else. So everybody else has to quickly observe, orient, and then you want to get ahead of that person's decision-making process. And the the reason why that's so important. So let's say everybody's in Cooper's color code white, where they don't know what's going on. Shooting starts happening, and whatever else, it's sensory, you know, it's overwhelming, and they don't know what to do. And a lot of times, this has happened in real situations where people kind of freeze up. They're not expecting it, and they don't run they don't do whatever they they freeze up so then it's different they you know they're, they're stuck where they're at my wife and i were watching a movie and it reminded me of what happened in this movie it was peter rabbit i know we don't have kids at home anymore they're adults i'm frightened yeah because uh, <laughs> it's actually very good you'll have to watch it with your kids or watch it by yourself i'll That's have okay. the excuse with kids but i may watch it by myself and uh, not tell anybody yeah <laughs> but there's one part because you know everybody you know all these animals are anthropomorphized you know they're they're adorable they can talk they're wearing jackets and they're bunnies but there's a big stag a big uh, big deer that every time a car drives up it just stops and freezes and says headlights headlights and that's all i can say he can't move he can't do anything and that's what it reminds me of and i think uh, you know all joking aside uh when you are in cooper's color code white and you're relaxed and you're focused on something completely different when uh, you know a shot rings out or when you know chaos ensues you're kind of like that deer in the headlights right yeah it's it's a common and it's not it's not because it's nothing negative to say about it's just 
the way it, it, you when in a, a high stress fight or flight situation like that you have a physiological response that it, it's tough to think about things slow down and think about things rationally especially if you're not not used to uh, a high stress situation like that and so if you're prepared or if you have thought about it prior it, you know and you institute a plan for what you're going to do in that event then you react and things like you know in, in shooting one of the things like let's say that you're in a you know you're you're shooting or if you're in combat I don't have I've never been in any kind of gunfight or whatever else I've only done done training for it but one of the things that I was taught at one point if you're in a gun battle with somebody else is that you move laterally you if you are going from like a from like how police officers or if you're doing concealed carry you draw your pistol and if somebody is ahead of you like they start shooting at you and you have to draw and react to it one way to reset their OODA loop is to move laterally or sideways or at an angle from them as opposed to on the range especially when you're doing moving and shooting drills because of safety and other reasons a lot of times on the range you're moving back and forth like if you're walking and shooting or whatever else you're starting from the back part of the range walking in a straight line towards the targets that you're shooting at and that's how you practice for for safety's sake if you do that in a in a real life situation the person who's shooting at you your opponent or whatever they are not they don't have to move at all in order to keep their muzzle on target but if you move laterally you know in a different angle from them it's hard to describe with it with sound or maybe it's not I'm just having a hard time describing it but that then they have to track you they have to move your muzzle to stay on you they have to react to your movements so that resets their OODA loop and then you have the opportunity to to get ahead of them this this concept and so in an active shooter situation that's why you know we talk about uh, some you know the run hide fight thing that you know if you if you run and you a bunch of people are running all in different directions uh, to exits or if they're somebody's cornered and they're in a situation where they have to fight and they're throwing objects at them or whatever that's something that they have to react to and that's data that they have to process in order to continue on with their their intended goal which is to to cause the greatest loss of life possible so this situation the OODA loop thing is used in you know the fighter pilot guy invented it it's really talked about a lot in, in law enforcement and um, you know the like the situation the training that I went through that I described uh, strategy when talking about like large military uh, strategy and and uh, you know like generals trying to outmaneuver each other with with troops it's used in a lot of different different settings but that's the gist of it no and they and they do a very good job of te teaching it at least uh, along among the uh, marine mps because my daughter can can tell you OODA loop backwards and forwards and anything about that they they really drill at home and i think right. there's a value to that especially when you know you have people coming in through the gates that sometimes shouldn't be trying to come through the gates and you've experienced something very similar but um, you know, where there are times where, you know, OODA loop comes in handy, where you are aware of what's going on or what potentially could go wrong. Yeah, I guess any adversarial situation where somebody, you know, it's your your decision-making process against somebody else's. and Yeah, so it's a good, it's, it's, you can read a lot about it. It's taught pretty prolifically, and it's 
definitely a, a good thing to understand, even though it's kind of military related. Well, and it's uh, it's valuable information, and it's easy to remember. You know, observe, orient, decide, and act is uh, it's an easy thing to remember, and I can see the value in that in Cooper's color code. And really, why we teach this first, why we discuss this, and really hit this home first and foremost, is because in order to have a successful, even a basic active shooter program or preparedness program, you really need to hone your situational awareness for it to be effective. Right. Do you want to hit on uh, the run-hide-fight thing? Yeah, I think we can do that uh, relatively simply here. Um, I'm going to go through. I've got our slides up here from our... Uh, our other day's uh, presentation, but um, you know, one of the reasons that we talk, especially to businesses, is because 45% of active shooter targets uh, or shooters target business, and there's a number of things that happen in that havoc uh, that takes place in an active shooter scenario. Is that uh, the shooter commits suicide about 40% of the time? Law enforcement neutralizes the shooter about 28% of the time. And we'll talk about the fight part of Run, Hide, and Fight, which is the Department of Homeland Security's program uh, that they, they teach. And the people will then uh, expand upon to have their own uh, programs. But um, unarmed citizens restrain the shooter about 13% of the time. And then only, and this is something that was very interesting when I was learning uh, some of the statistics, is only about 3.1% of uh, active shooters are neutralized as a result of an armed citizen. And that includes areas like this. So I thought that was very interesting. But we won't we won't go through a lot of those uh, characteristics right now. Um, but you're welcome to give us a call and uh, or visit our website, send us an email, and uh, we're more than happy to go out to your place of business and and do a basic uh, training program. It's something that we do to give back to our community. We don't ask anything for it. It's a matter of just when we're available to do so. But um, we can talk about, and, and in that, we also talk about behavior patterns and, and different things that um, will kind of lead up to and indicate who could possibly be an active shooter. But there are three principles that I want to mention, and that's uh, run, hide, and fight. And uh, the reason that the DHS put this together the way they did is it's very simple. There's three components here. The first is, is when you have an opportunity, uh, understanding and being situationally aware and having that plan of knowing where you would escape, where your nearest exit is. Some people don't have that luxury. They may work in an interior room. They may not have access to an easy exit. It may be way out of the way and there may not be a way to get to it. But nonetheless, if you have the opportunity to flee the scene and to get to safety, a safe place outside so you can call 911 and get first, first responders on site, that's, uh, that's ideal. But there are people that unfortunately can't. And so the next thing is to hide. And when we're hiding, there's uh, several things we want to do is barricade your door. Uh, hide in a lockable room without windows if possible. Silence your cell phone. Hide behind large objects. Remain very quiet. And just do your best to stay out of the shooter's view. Now, in some cases, you have an open plan. One of, uh, one of the folks that was at one of our... Um, Seminars the other day talked about the fact that their entire building is nothing but glass. And, and uh, so, you know, there are challenges to that. But in many cases, people will have places they can hide. Now, this isn't ideal. Running is first and, and foremost uh, the objective. But if you can't, try to find that room with a solid core door. And this, again, comes from situational awareness. Have you walked around your surroundings? Maybe you're new to the, to the building. Maybe you just moved into that area. 
And you look around and you say, where can I hide? Where are the places that I could uh, barricade myself and protect myself and others in the case of an active shooter? Um, the last thing uh, that we talk about is the last-ditch effort, and that is to fight. And this is why going, you know, when you're talking about Cooper's color code and going from white to black, you freeze. Mm -hmm. uh, just like that deer in the headlights sort of thing. Most people are going to do that. Not everybody, but many people are. And so what we want them to do is be aware enough that in the event that they are pressed against that imminent danger of the active shooter and they have to fight, you act with aggression, either alone or as a group, and you use whatever weapon you can find, a fire extinguisher, scissors, chairs, staples, uh, whatever, or staplers. I don't know if a staple would be a very good idea, um, but a stapler, I think, would be much more beneficial. Uh, but ultimately commit to taking that bugger down and making sure that they stay down. So that's the, the basic principles of this are three, you know, run, hide, and fight, and that's it. And uh, if everybody can remember that, it's going to have an impact. Now, we can develop a plan based on your floor plan, based on your departments and all of that, and, and we've done that. But, uh, but many companies uh, either don't need it or won't take the time uh, to do that or haven't put, a, you know, their employees maybe turn over too often. Mm. So this is something, the simple, uh, you know, situational awareness training, uh, which is great for business in general. If your employees are more situationally aware, it also uh, affects the possibility of them being injured. And that's why we teach situational awareness in the safety environment as well. Right. So, um, and, and this, of course, is the ultimate safety uh, situation here. But again, run, hide, and fight. It's really that simple, and it does have a great effect. The, to tie, tie that together with what we talked about previously is like when, when you're situationally aware, it's not just knowing, but then, you know, like uh, you go into a new room or in, in a new office or you're a new employee and you sit down, other than knowing that, now that you know, run, hide, fight or whatever, you know, that's that's the plan of what you want to do in, in priority if you can sit down and think about, you know, where's my nearest egress route and, and where does it lead to and, you know, you sit in a new place or you get that like heads up situation where somebody calls in and mm -hmm. you know how many people are in the building right now that's a good time to sit down and think about okay where's you know should you close the office for the day should you you know it depends on the situation they you didn't they didn't close down did they they didn't but they were about to close down anyway for the day so it was later right. in the day and uh, this situation is we were we the proper people were alerted and we were vigilant um, right. we, weren't, we weren't planning on, you know, taking it to too great an extreme, but we did some simple things. One is we locked the front door so people couldn't just come and go. Right. Uh, the second thing was is that, um, you know, we, we kept a vigil over the parking lot to make right. sure we, you know, it was a small place. So there wasn't a lot of people that knew, um, or, you know, we knew each other's cars. We knew who should be there and who shouldn't be. And uh, towards that part of the day, it was a pretty empty parking lot. So we could watch for those things as well. So it was just that being aware. So we stayed in orange for a while. We fortunately never had to go to red. person never showed up, but we were in orange. We were taking and getting ready for preparing for the worst case scenario. And being in red, orange was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it was very easy to then transition once we realized that the threat had diminished. People at work had gone home safely and we could go back to yellow. Right. You have the you have the time to and, and individuals 
you know, if you know these principles and you have the time to find your nearest egress route and, uh, and, you know, if, where could they come from? If, is there a chance that I could get blocked off to where I don't have an egress route? How can I move to change that? If I end up having to hide, what can I use to barricade? If I have to fight, what can I use for an improvised, improvised weapon? Um, you know, thing, things like that. Do I have a concealed handgun? Which, by the way, in my opinion, doesn't change if you have, I think, I think personally, you know, if we, I don't want to get into super politics stuff, but I think, you know, we live in, we live in South Dakota. It's a pretty conservative state. People have the right to defend themselves and, and carry a handgun responsibly. And I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, but some people, you, as you, you still should not make that your, well, now I have a concealed handgun. So that's my plan now. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need that. I don't need that run stuff. I ain't a sissy. Yeah. I'm Nate's a, telling me to run. Dan's telling me to run. I'm going to. I'm not running. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is one of the reasons up on a uh, shelf above your desk, there's a, a series of 380 rounds. And of those 380 rounds, and the reason is, is because I've had it where um, somebody will say, hey, you know, I, you know, Bob here and I, we, we both carry here. You know, we're not going to worry about this. This guy's not going to do any damage to us. We're going to catch him before he gets us up. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. The other is, is that you find out that, you know, what they're carrying is for rounds and it's a full metal jacket. The problem with a full metal jacket as opposed to, say, a hydroshock round or, um, uh, you know, these rounds that are meant to spread in the body is they stop in one person. They don't continue on, go through the wall, go through the drywall, go through another piece of drywall and then hit Marge in accounting. Um, The problem is, is that for me at least, and I'm a civilian, I've never been in the military, I haven't been trained by the military, um, is I'm aware of my limitations. I'm aware that I've never experienced uh, a situation like this. So I honestly don't know how I'm going to respond in this, but I would much rather be thinking in that manner than being so supremely confident in believing I knew exactly what was going to happen because honestly, from everybody that I've known that has served in law enforcement, uh, and has seen action, or in military and has seen action, they don't respond like you would think. No matter how much training, sometimes they don't respond that way because it's new and it real. it's real at that point. And I can't really attest to it myself because I've never experienced that, but I can give the example of a 25-year veteran in uh, Wyoming. I was talking to a sheriff about this, and we were discussing this very topic, you know, should people be allowed to carry it at work and stuff? And he said, well, let me tell you about my sheriff's deputy that recently had to put a guy down uh, in, a, in an altercation. Uh, 25 years, you know, very good shot, did really well on the range, very professional, very well trained, and knew his stuff and kept up on his, his training. And when the time came, when he actually had to be put in that scenario, he shot off nine rounds, but he only could remember in the post-interview after all of this that he gets shot off three rounds. That's all he thought he shot off. And so somebody with 25 years of experience, highly trained, continually trained, when faced with that situation is, um, you know, a- acted in a different way than what he was trained to do so. And he still, but he still reacted appropriately is the he, he thing. He, he had a level of situational awareness. He reacted appropriately and he was, like you said, really well trained for it. But it makes you think, think about that compared to somebody who, you know, spent, spent the $10 to get a South Dakota 
concealed carry license, bought a bought a new uh, Glock, and took it to the range and put put about fifty rounds through it, and now they're gonna now they're gonna carry, you know. Should they be able to do that? I think so. And should you be able to carry it in the workplace? I think so. I'm not the HR person and I'm not the insurance company that's going to have to pay out when somebody that has a negligent discharge into, you know, the leg of Debbie from accounting because they were showing off their, you know, mm -hmm. th that you're adding a whole level of risk and, and human variables that some people are mature and responsible enough to do that and some people aren't. That's a decision that those, I think you should have the ability to do that, but it should not, that should not now be, you know, if somebody comes in here with a, with a, a right or like, what was the thing in, in, uh, around here recently it was in Brandon where the, the people had a stockpile of weapons. Yeah. They were shooting at, they, they were shooting at random houses in Iowa or something like that. Mm -hmm. What was the deal with that? You know, I don't remember the full story. But they had automatic weapons, like actual automatics. Did they have actual? I, I don't remember that part. I, think, I just remember they had a stockpile. Don't quote of, me on that. You know, a significant amount of weapons. and um, But, you know, and I agree with you that people should have the right to conceal and carry and to bear arms and all of that. But what, I'm, what I would like to say, you know, to drive home my point, is that really... Put some time in thinking about whether right. or not um, conceal and carry is the best necessarily, and that's a decision that human resources people, administration, and and it's risk managers have to be a have broader to be company policy of like whether or not right. they, they want that. The thing, the it, the bottom line is it doesn't change run hide and fight. You still in it whether or not you're using a catchy Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, program or whatever. That's that's what it. If you get in a, you know, if you're walking by a far, a, a far, a bar. If you're walking by a bar at night and somebody who's liquored up wants to fight you, um, you know, it's not gonna make you feel like a big tough man when you're done because you beat up some drunk guy. But the the appropriate thing is to get away from the situation, remove yourself from the situation. If you are a concealed carry guy and there's an active shooter, you still run first. You still hide, or if you have the opportunity, you. You may have the opportunity to end it sooner, but that, that should still be your second priority. And then if you get in that situation where you're in a fight when you have no other options, you know, is using a fire extinguisher better or a Glock 19? The Glock 19 would be the preferable weapon in a gunfight. So yeah. that, that, that's at that point, you don't have any other options, but that should, that should be what it is, not... Uh, well, we don't need that, you know, that, that uh, guy who came in and did that training. We don't need to listen to what he said because now I just bought, bought myself, a, you know, a high point or something like mm -hmm. that. And now I'm, now I'm going to save, save the day and, and whatever else. Well, and th there comes with that. And the reason that we bring this up is we're not giving a particular opinion one way or the other, but, you know, hopefully some food for thought here. And that is when first responders arrive. And in this area, um, Assuming that you're a Sioux Falls listener, you're looking at probably a 10-minute to 14-minute window. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little earlier. We don't know. Um, the average, national average for response in a metropolitan area is approximately 14 minutes. Now, that doesn't take into account staging and preparing to breach and all that stuff and, and, and assessing well, ideally, the situation. That's something I want to talk about, too. Ideally, first person on scene goes in. If it's an active shooter um, from a law enforcement standpoint, 
Anybody who has any other information on this, by the way, or wants to add in, or if you're from Sioux Falls and you have special knowledge and it's actually X minutes or whatever else, or if you have something to add, feel free to, to, to hit us up, call us, or Facebook message us, or send us an angry email if we're dumb or whatever. But the, And that's what happened in, in the Parkland, Florida school shooting. You know, there was a school resource officer on the scene who, who didn't respond, and that's that's not appropriate, even though he was by them by himself for for a brief amount of time. First person on scene is, if, if the situation is active, they go in and they do that. A lot of times people think, even even people who are inexperienced in law enforcement or people, you know, I, I did special reaction team for a couple of years in Camp Pendleton, California, which is, a, it's the, every Marine Corps base has a, has, itself, a, yeah. has a SWAT team. And yeah, mm -hmm. the Camp Pendleton is the largest base on the West Coast. But uh, in doing training and stuff like that, when people say, you know, a lot of the less experienced folks there thought, you know, if there's an active shooter, well, you guys are going to come out. It's like, I'm not going to be there. If I'm not on duty, I'm not going to be there for 45 minutes. Like, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. You, that's, that's you guys. You're the first responders and you need to, to go and neutralize the, that threat. And so I don't know what the policy was at that sheriff's office or if there's just a breakdown in, uh, in whatever, but. The first person on scene, even if they're the only person, they they're not waiting, and they're not. There's no, you know, unless the active shooter has somehow barricaded the doors, they're not really waiting to breach, or they're not. They're going in, and they're going to neutralize the threat. If the situation becomes static, where they, the active shooter, locks himself in a room and doesn't want to give himself up, and barricades a door, and has hostages maybe or whatever else, then that's a barricaded. That's a barricaded suspect, and then that's when you cordon that, and then SWAT shows up, and you know they have crisis negotiators. They, they uh, th then that's when it kind of changes. But if they're still shooting, you you know the first responders are uh, going to be doing whatever it takes. But like you said, it's going to take them minutes to get there. A lot can happen in in minutes, and also. Um, talking about the concealed carry piece if if a lot of times not a lot of intelligence or information is gathered or known for certain about an incident 911 calls are coming in they're trying to piece it together as best they can they don't know if there's multiple shooters if you're uh, you know John Wayne concealed carry guy that's gonna save the day and you're running around with your handgun drawn trying to trying to find whoever you have to think about that from a law enforcement perspective as well. And you mentioned this during, during our piece, but you know, yeah, yeah. they um, come in and yeah. The thing is, is that one of the things after a first responder situation or when they, they arrive, you know, and you're, you're getting evacuated, you're getting out of the building, you, you get away from them. You try to avoid them, you know, and, and let them do their job. You don't go up to them and thank them. You don't talk to them. You don't tell them where somebody's injured. You simply get out of the way because their job, which seems harsh, but it's not. Is well, their job is to neutralize. You you can expect to be treated. Again, going back to the Parkland school shooting, the the perpetrator of that shot a bunch of people, and then eventually dropped whatever weapons he had and filed in with everybody else who was evacuating and acted like he was a regular person. And they somebody identified him, I believe, by you know. They saw people inside saw him, so they mm -hmm. identified him afterwards. But 
if you're in a situation like that and you're evacuating, you know, don't don't be surprised if you get if you get treated uh, somewhat harshly. I guess right. you, you, they they don't know who all is involved, and they have to stabilize the situation in order to in order to figure out what's going on. So that's so, a big piece of it too. And like with the concealed carry piece of it, if you have a gun in your hand and mm -hmm. a police officer comes around the corner and they're looking for an active shooter and you have a gun in your hand, you might get shot. Well, right. I mean, uh, again, does the OODA loop 1.5 second response time respond to first responders? You know, if the first thing yeah, they, they don't see have is, a specially equipped, uh, yeah. different physiological structure than everybody else. Uh, right, right. They're, so. they're, they're going to, and they don't know who it, you know, think about, think about when, uh, if you were to call in a description, if you were to call 911 and there was an active shooter and you call in a description and they look like, let's say they look like me. So you're calling in white male somewhere between you know, 5'10 and maybe 6'1, uh, 170 pounds, and, uh, you know, salon quality hair. No, <laughs> no uh, but you're, you're giving off a bunch of characteristics, and I, I look like every, every other white guy in America. There's nothing really special about me, and that's, that's all you have. So if you're, if you're the, the police officer that shows up to that situation, how many other people look exactly like me there? They're going to have to take what they have. Like they, like as we talked about, they have to respond quickly. They're not waiting around to like, well, can you get the guy's driver's license number? No, they're going and, and they're going to take care of it at that time. And there might be another, you know, standard looking white guy that looks exactly like me on scene and they don't. Right. They have to stabilize everything and then sort sort stuff out afterwards. So again, some more food for thought here is the fact that, you know, when you are responding to an active shooter with your own gun, and remember that only 3.1% of all active shooters are taken down by a private citizen with a gun. That's something to be keeping in mind. Uh, we just want to give that bit of information so that when you're making a decision uh, for your own business, uh, as to whether or not it's good to have a policy where people can conceal and carry within the office um, environment. Um, these are all good things to think about when considering the risk uh, versus reward uh, scenario here. To play, it, is, it certainly is a heightened risk, but to play devil's advocate on that, a lot of the shootings occur in places like schools where mm -hmm. you, you know, you're not allowed to have a gun on the property. No, no one is. And the shooter decided to not follow that rule while everybody else was following the rule. And that that could be partially, at least, a, a reason for that statistic being extremely low. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm also not, you know, I'm not going, uh, you know, I'm not wearing a 3%er hat right now. And I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to leave after this and, and go uh, shout uh, pro-Second Amendment slogans at motorists as they drive by either. Well, we should. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun just, just to see the reaction. Sometimes shouting at motorists in general is just, uh, it's a good way to relieve stress. I but, agree. Uh, I agree. It's our lunch, you know, routine. We go out and just <laughs> randomly yell at people just for the fun of it. But, uh, well, you know, I, I guess that's all I have from an active shooter preparedness thing. But I think driving at home is... You know, for me, when we developed our program, adopting some aspects of a number of different very successful elements, the OODA loop, the Cooper's color code, the run, hide, fight, 
all of that, um, the, the thing that uh, I really think is vital to remember is the importance of the situational awareness. That has such application in virtually every aspect of your life. And if I would have used situational awareness when my wife got her hair cut a couple weeks ago, mm. and I went three, four days without saying anything about it, and then she had to respond when I finally did realize that she had cut her hair, significantly, by the way, that, uh, so what, did you get your hair done recently? <laughs> yeah, like three days ago. Um, that is a perfect example of not using situational awareness, not looking up, not looking at little details, not being aware. Didn't cause a whole lot of problems, but it was there was significant eye rolling involved. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would give you a pass on it just because of my own experiences, but uh, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. um, anything else you want to talk about? We kind of hit our, our wickets of what we talked about, and it's kind of a newer... Um, not really newer, but we've had the opportunity within the past week to, to present a couple of times and, and speak on the topic. And yeah, if you, if you, uh, have anything else that you think we didn't bring up or want to add, hit us up on our Facebook page when I, uh, when I post the, uh, the podcast. So if, uh, nothing else, then we'll go ahead and sign off and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, think of something cool to talk about next time. <laughs> All right.